I want to begin with the shofar. And the shofar, uh, they say, has to be bent. Shvar means kind of hunched. But shipur in Hebrew also means to improve. So I think this is the simultaneous. In the word shofar, it is both to humble oneself, whereas the Baal Shem Tov says, you should bend, but don't bend. But what we're looking here for is not to uh, beat ourselves up. I think this is one of the mistakes of Yom Kippur, is that we're trying to be self-flagellants in this kind of opportunity to really come to terms of improvement. We're looking for room of improvement. And it really is a literal breakdown. Uh, And what I want to just show you in this, every morning in this month, this is the month of Elul, and each morning we rise to the sound of the shofar. And it's still daytime. Traditionally, you don't play the shofar at night, but here we are, and it will be three different sounds. The first well, it's a trick question. It's not a question. Three different sounds, which are all the same sound. The tikiah, which is the uh, initial blast. The shavarim, which means broken. And then truah, which means shattered. Uh, and this is, uh, and then back to tikiah. Now, why I call this eternity now, and this is in process from Tisha B'Av, all the way through to Sukkot that we're doing these programs. Welcome, welcome. We've just begun with Shofar, not a problem. Is that all of them are part of that same breath. And I think the acknowledgement of what we're trying to do here in Yomim Noraim in these high holidays is not have just two days a year where we're closer to divinity, our faith, but to realize how precious life is and how short our time is on this earth, and that each breath is a lifetime. If you have one breath, that is a lifetime. Yes? Rabbi, at some point, can you explain shattered? Because that's, that's interesting. Yes. Uh, the, there's tekiah. Yes. But do you mean, say something more about that, I'm shattered. I'm curious why they're having that. Breaking it into nine. So there's one beat, three beats, nine beats. But most important, before we begin to break it down in words, the sound of the shofar, to hear it, can be the most powerful liturgy you have. I think this is why people appreciate the Hebrew not knowing the Hebrew. I think often when you're just in an opera or you're in something that is transformative, that you don't know the language, but you get the sentiment, this is the most humble, humble instrument that we have. Um, Actually, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he insists here, I think I have this text. No, I had it somewhere else. Lubavitcher Rebbe says, it must be from a single horn. And it must be a unique sound only from that natural sound. The Talmud Rosh Hashanah says, any sound from the shofar is inherently kosher. That's why it's so important to use a natural horn that is not manufactured, that's not multiple, and it's not performative. And all your job is to listen to the natural sound of your own, of, of this breath. 
And really what it's asking us to do is listen to our breath. So why I said, Tekiah is one pace. Tekiah is, uh, is a single beat, so to speak. The Shvarim is three broken beats. You're trying to break it down. So I, this is a metaphor, but I'm already, you know, we're, we're getting into it. But let me, let me blast first. Let's just take a second before we start explaining, because the, let, me, let me blast. <laughs> so if anybody, it's Tekiah, Shvarim, Truah, and with each of them, there's a call and response. The words help us not just give us what we're doing, but put language to the sound of the shofar. Now, Jews are not responsible to blow the shofar. They're responsible to hear kol shofar. We're going to get to that in a second. So we're beginning with Shofar. Welcome, everyone. Let me just say, before I blast, what we're doing here is trying to understand some of the elements of our holidays, deconstruct, challenge some of the traditional motifs of the holidays, reconstruct to give a sense of what this can mean in uh, 2019, and then hopefully come a slightly more prepared in each and every day towards this Yamim Noraim. So, this is Tekia Shvarim Trua Tekia. <laughs> Now, that was a little fast. <laughs> and throughout the course of the day, there are 100 blasts that gives you 100 moments of one moment. Now, everyone waits for the Tekiagadola which is how long, you know, how long you can last. We have a beautiful student here, Zach. He, he plays trumpet and he can recycle his breath. And so he could just go on and on and on. And yet, what I wanted you to hear in that, that initial blast is that one beat, here I can do it here, they should done, well, there is no wrong. They are the same beat. So that you're trying to both find your rhythm, break down that rhythm. So I would say for Shvarim, for example, what I did, what I'm going to do, and in the middle is where I'm at. And then what is this shattered? It's really a breaking down of, we've got it all together. Everything is so together. I have my checklist. I know what I need to do. I have all of my liturgy. I have my Aleph to Tuff. But at some point between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if you don't have a shattered moment, that really, that its comp- composite matter breaks apart, you, you haven't experienced full tru- uh, opportunity to re, uh, reify that back to, and it always goes back to Tekiah. So shattered may be a little 
violent <laughs> as language, but um, it's not simply broken. Because this is not broken. This is us finding our way through welcome. Hi, not a problem. Hi, Millie. That the shofar is meant to break us down a bit. And I'm sure you've had this experience in sanctuary where you're listening to a lot of liturgy and your head starts to spin. But then at Yom Kippur, when that traditional liturgy comes, we find ourselves really in a place. Who am I? What is my worth? What is my value? So that I can return to the self. This is why the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe was very insistent about a single shofar so that you can hear your voice within that shofar. You're not trying to bring that collective moment. You're trying to see where you are and then how that relationship happens with the world. So, the shofar service was originally a coronation service. We were coronating Hamelech, the king, God. And so instead of a performance of King David or King Solomon, they used these shofars. This was a coronation ceremony. What's amazing about our service is we become the individuals, the lowly individuals that get to collectively coronate the king. So in some ways, it's a religious democracy. If you think about it, it's not the high priest who blows the shofar. And it's the listeners who actually are the ones who declare this collective as sovereign, this, this quote-unquote king. Now, I don't want to get to kingship just yet. I'm going to ask you guys to turn. Well, first, any questions about shofar, the meaning of shofar, the purpose of shofar? We use it here to awaken ourselves, to remind us Sadia Gaon has 10 different reasons uh, reflection of, Ad, uh, of Abraham and Isaac, the coronation, as I mentioned, to awaken our souls. Does anybody have any reflections from the moment they hear the sound of the shofar? What does it, uh, what does it uh, inspire in you when you hear the sound of that shofar? Does it bring you back? Yes. Coming home. A return. Mm -hmm. So for their tshuva, la shuv, to return home, is we use the translated term repentance, but it's a coming home. It's a center, uh, a return. Yes. For me, it's an awakening. It just takes my cells. My cells start vibrating in my body. It's a call. Da 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 da. -da. It's an awakening. Hit oreru. Hit oreru to arise and awaken. So it really takes you to the world. So it gives you a cosmic feel. Ground zero of creation. Post-linguistic, it is not a matter of language. I don't have to argue the theology of the chauffeur. <laughs> and I think that's really important, that everyone is welcome. Yes. Did, did you say that 
According to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and according to, yes, according to the Mishnah Brura, there are later uh, reinterpretations of this. Some people do one section solo. But for me, mm-hmm. I've, I find that to be a value. It's not a brass band. It's not a band. Well, I'm not trying to harmonize mm-hmm. in that world. I'm trying to have a, clar- a clarion call. And that's why, but even even if in its stuttered uh, breathiness, you hear one voice, Kol Shofar. This goes back to, I think, in a sense, monotheism, but it's a, these are metaphors. But what you're talking about, this return home, this centering, and a universal that is beyond language, I think is really what I hope for all of us, even when we're in the midst of our prayers, I do this too, and I can refer to the intellectual who is trying to compare what that commentary says and what this commentary says, what language is it. We're already in the wrong registry of of return. Well, don't you think even the staccato stuff, it's almost like the universe, the earth you're being created, and then there was the big bang, and then mm-hmm. it all comes back together. Ba, 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 back to a return ba, and that they're all the same pace so you see you, you can see your life as these ups and downs but really it's all part of one breath yes thank you very much for sharing everyone for me it's kind of looking at your idea from behind and seeing uh, the good and the bad and uh, incorporating it and being wise to go ahead uh, to go forth for the next year to learn from our experiences what things work and what haven't worked. Is that something? Absolutely. So we can move with one other comment, but then, yes, thank you. I, I will get to the themes that we will have. This coronation has very much these three themes in it, but some other comments. Yes, Dan. It's a really question because oh. I'm just like, what is the mystical? I mean, it's clear. It's like it's one sound, it's broken sound, it's really broken sound, and then it's back to one sound. Like, what is the mystical explanation for that? It doesn't have to be in that order. What, what it does the, have to be. Schrodinger no, has know, a very that what music is mystically. What is the So the Kabbalists do not give you uh, language for the shofar because they're trying really to give a sense of tone and pace without uh, those words. Mine was the interpretation of broken, and there's other midrash, Hasidic midrash on that. But I think, for example, one is totally broken down at that nine pace. For someone else, those nine beats is alarm clock, waking up. So for one person, that uh, is a special holy time. For other people, this is an everyday kind of, how do I incorporate welcome? Every day, welcome. Yeah, Myrna. Long time. I went to Hebrew school with Myrna in sixth grade. So it's been, what, 35 years. So that will be... So what is the mystical interpretation? That 100 blasts recreate the earth. So this is the music of the creation of the world. So just to clarify, you're saying the shofar is blown every day 
Leading up to? Elul, in the month. Or is it 100 times a day for every day of Elul? No. The, the, what, what you only do is Tkiah, Shvarim, Trua, Tkiah. That one line, it all gets put each together day. each day in Elul in the morning in a Shachrit service. And the Slichot prayers that we do on Yom Kippur, Slichot is forgiveness. So too, in Paris especially, I woke up at 6 a.m., early in the morning. This is not the intellectual time of the year. This is a soul-searching time of the year. This is when I put away my philosophy books and I open some really good spiritual woo-woo. You know, this is when I'm getting out, you know, some different, different soul-searching kinds of words because the language, I have plenty of language to describe my life, my actions, but... I'm missing something else that's within my soul that's trying to say, reflect, change. There's a new way to be. Yes, yeah, John. I'm just wondering if it could be that as you feel you're falling apart, i.e. shattered nine beats, you're, you're not, because it's all within the one beat, so it's all part of the whole. It is, it is a breaking down, but you are not breaking down, and you're right. consistent, right. and then you're, you're carrying it so right back. experience with Yes. So I've seen this visually done. A chauffeur in uh, beautiful colors, and you can look it up. The blast in a map of colors, and it's a visualization. Mm -hmm. And so it really does hold and come together. But life is not simply one beats. And there is a certain awakening and also a calming. And if you slow it down, it really gives you a pacing and a time to both hold, reflect, and then shofarot. So malchuyot, sorry, I'm going to do the English malchuyot. These are the three sections of the Rosh Hashanah service. Malchuyot, zich, ronot. And shofarot. Shofarot. Okay, so these are in the Musaf service, in the service of the Rosh Hashanah. Each of these are liturgical sections that use ten verses from the Torah, from the prophets, and from the writings that use these three words. Malchuyot, this is the first one I'd like to break down, which is kingship. Anybody kingship resounding? Does that sound right to you guys? You like kings? You think in England? It's a problem for Americans because we started by rejecting a king. Gerald Manley Hopkins, no king but God. And but I would also say for even our own liturgy. And here, this is just a general. I would not. we underestimate the wisdom and sophistication of our liturgists from as early as the Talmud and the Torah. They also had these same struggles with, uh, let's say, for example, the Persian kings, Darius II. So he was called Melech Hamlachim, the king of kings. So when we sing in Aleinu, Melech Malachei Hamelachim, the king of king of kings, we're doing a wink-wink. We're saying, yes, God is king, but 
It's just one more king than all of your kings. <laughs> so now I just want to say, every time I say, Melech HaOlam, king of the universe, when I move to translation, I'm already lost. Blessed, oh God, the E-D on blessed, I'm already done. Bless, I think sneeze. So translation is so difficult, but Baruch, Ata, which is also a you, there is a locus, there is some sort of out there that's not a human, it's not a figure, but there is a direction to that prayer. Baruch Ata, then Adonai, we know is the word for God. Eloheinu, our collective God, Melech HaOlam. So this is where we say King of the universe, King of Olam, the world. That word really rings untrue for many people. And when we will talk later about Avinu Malkeinu, if for some people who've been through feminist critique, Father King, you've just given me a double negative distancing, and I don't feel very connected to that to that phrase. But Malchuyot is something else. So now I want to... That was the deconstruction. Now let me try to reconstruct Melech. Uh, uh, a, a Malk in Arabic, Ibn uh, Malik, means possessor, holder. You could say also owner. And so sovereign is... What is sovereignty? It's a certain ownership it's a holding. And this is where when I feel out of control or I feel the world is out of control or I feel my leaders aren't holding what we have, have a good choir. Mm-hmm. We'll see you at Rosh Hashanah. She's in the choir. They're performing. There's a lot going on tonight. No, she, just, she loves kingship and she just can't stand when someone says that there is something beyond us as a collective humanity that is holding this universe, this moral universe. So when I say Melech HaOlam, I'm always thinking of one degree more than, I, than we can hold. Does that make sense? Melech and all of, the, all of the reference back in the liturgy as you walk through why they keep giving you this term melech is not about coronation. It's about holding, owning. Who owns this? Uh, I just had this discussion with someone about land and, and territorial rights. Every seven years, there's Shemitah. You let the land lie fallow. And every 49 years, you let Oh, you guys discuss this? No, oh, right, Shemitah year, right. And every 49 years, there's the Yoval, the Jubilee, which allows um, loans to be forgiven and a recalibration because you don't own and every seven days is a Shabbat. And each of these are called Truah. Each of these are called this same announcement of coronation. Why? Because we don't own ourselves in a sense. We don't own the land that we help tend. We don't even own our economic exchanges. Now, don't say that to the stock exchange, but I do think it's very healthy for one day a year to recalibrate yourself and say, 
I don't own my children. They're God's children. I don't own this job. I have a contract and I have a home. I don't own my, I, I own my house, but I don't own my house. And I don't mean that because I have a mortgage. I mean, because this is, this is the klipa, this is the shell that I am in. So when I say melech, ha-melech, I'm saying that there's something else that, that holds rather than king. In the second section, this, uh, remind me your name again? Natalie. Natalie. So what Natalie was talking about is it's just a moment to acknowledge, reflect back in memory. And so zichronot, this one is not as hard. Zichronot means zecher is a memory. But Jewish memory works differently because Jewish memory are pillars. They're literally what we hold on to. So when I say the memories of my ancestors, this isn't just a photographic picture book. These are really uh, our inheritance. They're something we take very seriously, all the way from Abraham and Isaac through the history of our Jewish people. And Jewish or non-Jewish, we hold on to these, uh, these ancestors as part of our own memory. The trick, Natalie, as you're saying, not trick, but the work of the shofar is to also break those down. This is where I, I really enjoy the narrative theory, the stories that you're telling yourself. How do you say, okay, I've been on this train. This is my life. This is my work. This is my world. Zichronot is challenging you to say, no. God owns this whole, the divine holds more than you can hold. And... This is where God remembers more than you think you can remember. You don't hold all the memories. And this is really what we're trying to do in Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, is actually bring up memories that we don't remember. It says many times in traditional liturgy, you remember that which I cannot remember. And for me, some, for some, that's troubling. Like, oh my God, what have, I, what have I forgotten? Oh, there's so much I've forgotten. And you're trying to hold on to all of these things that, that you are trying to hold, and yet you can't hold it. If you let go, this is why the chauffeur service on Rosh Hashanah can be so powerful. If you let go of trying to hold on so much because there's a, a greater source holding you, memories will come up that are unique. You're... God will allow, the, the divine within you will bring up memories that you are not allowing to come up because you're trying to hold on so much. Like uh, with a family dinner table. I spend most of the time fighting about memories that happen this. Ah, yes, I remember it well. Right? Sorry, I can't believe Gigi just came up. And, uh, and yet, we're fighting over our narrative theories. With the Malchuyot, you can relax and say, Myrna, was it Miss Zans that we were together? Or Sarah Zan? Anyway, Snira Klein. How do we remember and who do we remember? If you allow some space in this Rosh Hashanah approach to allow those zichronot to, to help your memory, it helps us expand our knowledge of ourselves but then also our participation in the world. 
And this is the third part that I think is so important. Shofarot is not just, hey, hey, you can do it. A shofarot is a combination of a coronation of a people that have a collective responsibility towards some new behavioral shift. I don't want to say change because it is a return to a more authentic self. That is so hard. Because what does it mean to be an authentic self? I'm racing to find within this liturgy what that means. So, these are the three sections. Malchuyot, Zichronot, Shofarot. Traditionally, this would be kingship, memory, and shofar. I'm suggesting it is allowing something that holds you beyond yourself, memory that is not your own, but is a collective shared memory, and then ultimately to move us towards a collective coronation of a, new, of a newfound self that is really your traditional core of who you always were. Yes? I have a question. When you talk about memories, are we uh, supposed to um, think about the good memories So, when we're going to move to this very challenging thing, good memory, bad memory, memory. If you can, within the prayer, drop in, meaning not try to control what your thoughts, your prayers are, this speaks to really what I think is divine prayer. Rather than, please God, help me remember only the good and forget the bad, that's a very kind of, almost a manipulative way to pray. If, Natalie, you can stop, if we can all say, what am I going to reflect on this high holidays? What keeps coming and returning to me that I am not thinking of? Is it good? Is it bad? Well, that... This is where I want to return back to maybe the most complicated prayer in our liturgy. So here I'm going to ask you to open 348. This is the Unetanetokif. Unetanetokif Kedushat Hayom. Oh, please, sorry. Why? It's wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. Is that your dad? Yeah, it's my dad. Oh my gosh, that's so great. <sighs> and why I wanted to move to this prayer in particular from the shofar is this line here. You see on 348. It's uh, in the three, four, seven. It's seven lines from the bottom. Uvishofar gadol yitaka kol demama daka yishama. That there is a great blast that is sounded, but there's a still. It's it's translated as still. It's a small, quiet voice. It's neither small nor quiet. 
The call is the voice of the divine. Kol Shofar is a divine voice. Yitaka is this blast. It's a big blast. But what you need to hear is, underneath that, a Kol Yidom is actually silent. And it, you can say it's thin, but Dak, it's just ever so sensitive. It's kind of like when you see someone blustering and you know inside you could just see it, that little fear behind their eyes. We're trying to hear the still small voice underneath this. So, yes. But whose voice? The divine or inside? Yes. (laughs) That's the conversation. There we go. That's the conversation. That, that's, a, that's exactly what Paul Tillich says, is the interior, authentic interior dialogue. Not the, on the this hand, on the this hand, stilling both of those, those, on the one hand, on the other. Those are not the voices of the divine. Now, how do you know the difference? It's stillness. It's quality of truth. Because it's not trying to spin a story. So if I get a memory that comes up that is unique, that is a gift. So prayer here, just let's take a moment on prayer. I'm not looking for intercessionary prayer. I'm not asking, please God, make sure that I don't die, that I live. We should take a moment and really walk through Netanatokif, which was um, there's a lot of debate as to when this came from early uh, Byzantine period, 6th, 7th century. A man, Amnon of Mainz, was supposedly going to convert to Christianity and his fingers were cut off, but they didn't cut off his tongue. And so when they brought him back to the synagogue, he said this prayer of Kalanimus ben Moses, ben Kalanimus ben Moses, which is very interesting, this intergenerational, and he sang this beautiful song. It was brought up during the Crusades. This liturgy really did solidify during the Crusades, during a very difficult period. And they were really asking themselves, who will live? Who will die? So now I'm on page 349. This is the one you remember. How many pass on? How many shall throw? Oh, already they've translated it. Who? Who bekitso milo bekitso? Whose death is timely? Who is not? Who by fire? Who is drowned? Who by sword? Who by beast? This seems to be a prayer that I am asking God, what is my lot? But this is not prayer, Jewish prayer, to beg and petition in this way. And I want to say, I don't think it's this liturgy's either. So first, questions on Unetana Tokef. This is done at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's one of the holiest sounds. Barosh Hashanah yikatehivun uviom tzum kippur yichatehimun 
That on Rosh Hashanah, it is written, and Yom Kippur, it is sealed. Now, I want to just take a moment on the Chatima. Anybody like wax rings, rings and wax, and doing that sealing? That's what the seal is. So the writing is the writing of the script, but Yichatemun is putting the divine seal on the scroll. That there's a certain operation that happens between these ten days that isn't our... I'm re, reinterpreting, trying to reconstruct this. It's not to give me the decree of this year is when I'm going to get a raise or this year is when I'm going to get ill. It's that this is the way I'm going to approach this year. This is my recipe. This is my talking points. These are my approach because I have truly taken this seriously. And therefore, by Yom Kippur, by that end, I have a marching order for myself that I have sealed. And Rosh Hashanah is when I'm writing that. What is this year going to represent? What is the opportunity that I have to be connected, alive, and, 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 and in part with the divine? So many, many skeptics, atheists have said to this prayer how arbitrary and how it makes the divine seem like uh, a game of blackjack. And that ultimately the last line, if you turn to page 352... Uchuva, utfila, utsadaka. Do you see how big those lines are, the first three words? But a return. And we could talk about the word repentance. Tefila, prayer, and tzedakah, acts. Ma'avirin et roa hagazera. Make easier what God may decree. So already, you know that can't be true. I mean, not a Jewish God. <laughs> I don't think. God's not trying to make things easier. God wants you to work diligently to help you make through these very challenging times. Ma'avirin, avar, means to pass through. Ma'avirin is the ability to not transcend what happens in life, but through an introspection, and through prayer, and yes, through good deeds, we know we will make it through whatever is decreed. Yes? I always have a big problem with this prayer. Yes. <laughs> For many reasons. It's a challenging the, prayer, yeah. Not the least of which, it, on, on one level, it seems to be saying, at Yom Kippur, it's decreed. Whatever's going to happen, and after that, you can't do anything. Or, and, and for me, that process should be something that goes on for the whole year. I can understand taking 10 days to kind of get in the right direction. But the idea that it's sealed at Yom Kippur and after that, it's hopeless. So what is sealed? What, well, so that, that's, that's the question. Is the decree sealed? That's why I'm reinterpreting it. I don't think the decree is sealed. Yes. What no. I want to say about that prayer. Yeah is I actually find it soothing. 
I'll tell you why. Because what I hear are the drumbeat of my ancestors, the same people from the shofar. That's what I hear. And I think of them. They thought this stuff was, I mean, this was, they're, they're real. And it makes me feel connected. It makes me feel part of it. It's so, like a drumbeat. It's a drumbeat. Are you praying to the God of your ancestors? Or are you praying to your ancestors? I feel connected. So there's a connection I feel there. Connected. Despite, but do you feel connected to these, to the liturgy of the words? Yeah, because it's all of us. Because it's all of us. Because in this last year, I just say, I do worry about who dies by fire. I, it's real. Who is drowned? Mm-hmm. Who by sword? These, these are real concerns. Now this, I think, is magic if I think it's sealed that I will be one of those people. But if I have the right introspection between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I will live my life differently. And this is what I want to show you is that I think it's a much more subtle theology than I pray, I get right. I don't pray, I, I, I will somehow not be in God's favor. And the original said... That they will cancel the decree so that you could break it by good acts. And that, would you disagree with? No. You can, if you work towards peace, you can break that evil decree. If collectively we work towards environmental, yes, Steve. The issue I always had was how can you repent in 10 days for a year that has gone past where maybe you didn't do things that you were proud of. And you don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card just because you show up to pray. So not only do you get a get-out-of-jail-free card, the time you served is double credited to you, the <laughs> rabbis say. This is, and you know, at first I mocked it, for me, but I think it's a very powerful thing that when you face your own problems diligently and openly, this is why conf- verbally and making that confession, that has now become part of my strength and it actually gives me the fodder to move forward in a way that someone who has never done it doesn't have. But wouldn't the greatest deed and the greatest promise to be to do it all year long instead of letting it pile up to the end of the year? So I think when it's saying mi bakito, mi lo bakito, it's asking for this year to come. Are you suggesting that? Well, every day, by the way, every day, three times a day, I am trying to reflect on this. I think for this is the uh, M.O. What's our modus operandi towards the year? And from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, I'm saying, I've got to do this differently. Or, see, it's not even differently. I've got to return back. I've got to get back to my first principles of who I was before I got tweaked, before I got shifted. And you would hope every day is a chance for Yom Kippur. Every chance is a day for tshuva. The ceiling is, on this collective day, we set our world in a certain direction. So I, because there's a certain writing, so it's like, at some point you've got to turn in the paper. 
At some point, you've got to stop editing. Is it into or unto? And I think you're right. I think it's into. But I think at some point, you're trying to open yourself, break it down, but then get back up. And so that's why I think these 10 days gives us that cosmic window to address the universe, the world, and ourselves. Let me give you one more teaching on this prayer, because obviously to do all of High Holidays in an hour and a half is a lot, but I just want... Look, it couldn't be more clear, who shall live and who shall die. But is that really a fair question in life? I mean, maybe for one year, perhaps. Everyone's living, and people will die. So it's an existential question that mi bikito, mi lo bikito is already an existential question. Who in their time and who not in their time? This one really burned me. Obviously, my wife died young. So, but she had, that was her time. So like, God, like, this is how I pray. Really? <laughs> who shall live and who shall die? So what is that? It's like, God is the great Rogerian is what I think. Oh, tell me more about that. What do, you, what do you think? Who shall live, who shall die? Well, everybody dies. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Wow. I better chuva tefillah tzedakah. Who in their time, who not in their time? Is this my time? Oh my God, I don't know. I better do chuva. I better pray. And I better do acts. I better get out there and do stuff. Now, this one's interesting. Mi becherev mi bechaya. Who is, in, who is by sword, who is actually an interpersonal situation, and who is just torn by beasts, by the natural? By the way, is that a positive or negative? It's like, would you rather buy you know, hot oil or buy, you know, and I could continue. Who by fire, who drowned? Who hunger, who thirst? Who earthquake, who plague? What is that middle section? So the first seems to be, it's an up or down. But then you start moving in, it's like, you show me a person who doesn't have service. You show me someone who's not dealing with really deep, personal, spiritual. Because, you know, in the Palisades, down in Bell Gardens, everybody's got their stuff that they're working through. And it's all collective. Finally, this third section. So, I think we can look at it as, oh, in the ancients. So to this, Lori, I want to challenge you here, because they used to believe all this. We just really respect them. So I, I you didn't say that. Mm-hmm. You said you believe this is your faith of your people, and so you connect with it. But I, for one, say, yeah, my Zaydi, he believed it. But, you know, he was, my Zaydi was a great, great mind. So I can't... God bless you, Zadie. But like, my Zadie, Zadie. Yeah, he believed this. He was a, you know, a man from the shtetl. What, what did he... But I really think this is a very subtle prayer that breaks down into three things. Let me give the third. Who is tranquil and who is tormented? Hold on. Is that a question of what you've been given or is that a question of how you've dealt with it? So the prayer is actually a very modern prayer. Who this, who that, well, who's going to say? You, who's going to be the judge of whose time? Up, down. By what? Yeah, there is a certain summary of this and some of that. Some of us 
you know, will face tremendous challenge and others will face other challenges. One if by fire, two if by sword. Now, who is in safety and who shall be harmed, that's a matter of tefillah and tzedakah. That's a matter... I, I can give you a security as a collective. I can make sure who is humbled and who is raised up. And those are both, for me, positive qualities. That I can both be humbled in my in my in my tshuva in my process, and I can also be risen up. And you know, who is poor and who is rich? What's like the classic Pirkei Avot ethics of the fathers? Who is rich? Who is happy with his lot? That's earlier. That's much earlier than Unatan and Tokif. So you think it's saying, oh, who's going to be rich and who's going to be poor? That's not what it's saying. And this, I think, is really what your Rosh Hashanah. Now I'm going to challenge you, Steve, because yes, I do think it's sealed. Because I think we certainly say, okay, this is my, this is my lot. This is what I got. But we open up that cosmic. Because it's hard work to do it every day. You wouldn't be able to... Honestly, I'm trying this month really to take it seriously, to try to calibrate my life. It's hard to live. It's hard to live to say, I'm going to be a man of such integrity that every word that I say will be with depth and meaning. Guess who I don't call? Anybody. <laughs> wow, what a pious monk you are. <laughs> yeah, as I, you know, I've told you guys, it's easy to be Zen in a, in a garden in Japan. <laughs> but during that Yom Kippur, let's not just look and say, oh, who, he's there, he's there. Well, I'm doing so many other things. So, Dana, yeah. So I, the, when you read this prayer, you can, you can almost read it two ways. You can read it just about me. Yes. Me, and then you can read it about me as part of a bigger community. And it sounds very different. It's, which way is it? Explain. To so explain. So, so when I say it about me, it's like, oh my God, it's much more scary. It's like what Stephen says. It's like it's all written. It's all planned. doesn't matter what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read it, and I think when it's read like it, because it says it's now we declare. It's our sovereign. It's not like your, it doesn't, it doesn't say your sovereign. It doesn't say you declare. It's not telling me to say this in my own little bubble. Yeah, that's, that's right. the way we read it. And then if I, but if I read it as a community, it actually lends to me being more appreciative and being more zen in, in the middle of traffic and recognizing and sharing moments with friends, knowing that could be their last moment, right? Yes. Um, or that it's in our community that all of these bads and goods will exist in our community to our whole family, to all of us. So... Fortunately, we have, in that first paragraph, now if you turn back to 348, what we're really trying to do in a, in a collective service. You are the one who comes and sets before each of us that we're all in this collective. We're like this flock, notarikon. Some see it as a march, but again... All my metaphors are kind of corrupted by like a line two by two. Now I think of a very different line of selection process. But what it was was a military parade, perhaps, in Roman period, 
or a sheep and a flock. So it is a collective, but you get your moment. You both have your personal moment and you have your collective moment. And I think that actually happens every Yom Kippur, is that we're in our own worlds, but you see everybody's flowing in their own worlds. And so there, I think it can be... It's not roa ha, your gezerah, so the, the back to this pre, returning. See, repentance, repent implies... There's a humbling, there's a prayer, there's an expression, and then there's righteous action that is ha the decree. It's not your decree. It's not gezeratech. So I think you're right. It is personal, but it, it has a very different translation. But one thing is for sure, the very end, you are their creator. Ki hu yotram, vata yitram. You are the creator, and you know each person's inner, inner essence. And we also know we're just flesh and blood. So we can't hold it. So, yes, George, please. Good, new voice. It's very personal. Uh, but my wife was 50 years, died about 12 years ago. Okay. In July, at the high holidays, I read this, and I burst out crying. Mm. And the reason is that you decided who... Shall live. Now, after 50 years, she was a pretty good kid, my wife. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was no big sins. And I came to the conclusion, and uh, it reminded me of the play called Steam Bath Hmm. in New York, where uh, it was a steam bath and a Puerto Rican cleaned up uh, everything. Except every once in a while he went to a computer and said, let's have an accident at Fifth Avenue and Second Street. Right? He was making a oh. decision. And it was basically random uh, rather than being good. Now, okay. I had 50 years experience with my wife. And again, she was a pretty good kid. So now we're at when bad things happen to good people. And not why. Because my God does not run a Schwitz and say, you deserve it, you don't deserve it. And we could just kind of break this down. I mean, this is a separate class, the Jobian. You know, when someone told me that God needed to pick a flower because my wife was so brilliant that she needed something, like they needed something out in the netherworlds, you know what? I said, you got a lot of theological work to do, and that's pretty chutzpah And yet... We have to, in humility, say that was the decree. That was the decree. The tears, it, now I can't change your tears. They can be tears of anger. We're going to get actually to that section soon, which is Avinu Malkenu, because I can say, Cosmic Meta Daddy, my infinite intimate, the thing that's holding all of it and knows all my deepest secrets. What up with that? <laughs> and that's my journey to try to figure out and understand. And I still go back to Chuva, Tfil, and Tzedakah. I pray on it. I think about it. I return to that. Not 
her moment, but who I am. And this was humbling beyond a partner that I truly did love. I didn't have 50, I have 14, but my life is clearly meant to be that and. But what I do is I keep writing and it, it is painful and it is challenging. But each of us, each of us are going through this operation. And what I'm without saying there's a man in a beard on a throne that's telling me what to do. I can't hold it. It doesn't hold in my mind. I, I can walk through all of the, the analogies and this happened and she deserved it, didn't deserve it. But when I don't hold it, different memories come up. Different sources of strength come up. And then I move forward. And also when I'm doing this, which is what I want to turn to now, which is the vidui. Uh, please, any other comments on this? Uh, I yeah. just to come from another direction. Please. To me, it's the end of this prayer that is so hopeful. And it's not so much that things are inevitable, but really what this is saying, at least to me very often, is yes, things are going in certain directions, but we're not powerless. So, yeah, we're this... Not, it doesn't say that we can fix it, but we are not powerless. And that, to me, is an incredible sense of hope. Because the converse of that is that it's all decreed and it doesn't matter what I do and I'm completely fatalistic. Or, you know, I have a sin, whether it's an original sin or a sin that I did later, and it's hopeless. There's absolutely nothing that I can do. This, to me, has always been an incredible sense of hope. That hopefulness that human, that, that human actions can matter. Amen. But to, so can I just yeah. pick up on Bert? Please. Um, I don't know if you could pick up that. You have to ask Dana that. So, so, I mean, George, Micah, Bert, like what's so great here is we all get our own personal epiphanies, right? <laughs> so, like, reading this and dissecting it, like, to go to the, the punchline, you know, in the commentary on 351, you know, in the next to last, the bottom, there's a sentence that says, we cannot will away either what happens to us or what happens around us, but we may have it in our power to turn it into something quite other than evil. Which, then if you look at the prayer, back on 349, the first third is kind of like, okay, so stuff happens, right? Right. So the first third that's listed, kind of like, stuff happens because like God. And then the middle third is, like stuff happens kind of randomly. Mm-hmm. Right? Hunger or thirst, earthquake or plague. And the last third is stuff happens because of your own personal actions. So when at the top of 351, and then I'll finish when it says, but Shuvah, Tefillah, and Sadaqah makes it easier with what happens from God, makes it easier what, what happens just randomly, and then it makes it easier to face the world and facing ourselves. So it really comes back to Shuvah, Tefillah, and Sadaqah can make you personally deal with all of these things. Um, on all three of those levels. And I would say, not just personally, collectively, because tzedakah, and I would even say prayer is personal, but it is interpersonal, but tzedakah, it helps, it helps move us along. And even further, when we do these things collectively and turn those into righteous acts, we actually turn our bigot service, you know, uh, I call it holy crap. 
It makes the best manure. It really does. It gives us the best opportunities because we've had this strength and experience. And that is the best that I can do with a prayer that is incredibly, incredibly challenging theologically. Uh, and yet we will continue to sing it. Because if you took out Kol Nidre and you took out Udatatatokef, I wouldn't want to go to the service. I'm just telling you, like, I don't believe necessarily theologically either. Wait, what about the rabbi's sermon? That, that's easy. <laughs> you just don't go out for a drink on Yom Kippur during. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to, I, I believe you should be righteous, work hard, work smart, and have good luck. And that's the randomness in this. But the other things are absolutely true. But luck, things happen, and there's also good luck. And you need that too. You know, that's where uh, Shlomio Shlomazel, mm-hmm. you know where Shlomazel is? Shli Mazel. Mm-hmm. You have bad luck. Mm-hmm. Shli Mazel. Yeah, Mazel and Shli Mazel. Um, I do want to take, you know, they're just two last prayers that I really want to take some time on. Um, let's turn to page 694. Could you imagine uh, Yom Kippur without Kol Nidre? No. Is it really the music? I mean, I love the cello. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't imagine it without Becky Rodney. <laughs> okay. You can only hope. Oh. I, just, I was just curious about this. Um, uh, you spoke about, you know, missing a person that you were with for a long time and feeling uh, pain about that. But on the other hand, how about when you think about you were divorced you don't miss that person you think they're a schlamazel I don't know depends if it's a conscious uncoupling but ideally I mean ideally here in Kol Nidre to be able to say all my vows are null and void from this year to next year talk about uh, putting your fingers behind your back. Um, the rabbis, many rabbis, did not like this. Kaplan attempted to avoid this problem. He wanted to substitute Psalm 130 while chanting traditional melody. It didn't work. It's in it. It's part of our liturgy. Now, the uh, I guess it was Rashi's grandson who changed it from last year to this year to this year to next year. Okay, first let me just let's take a step back. Kol Nidre. All my vows. All, yeah, all my vows. All my promises of abstinence. All formulas of prohibition. All declarations of austerity. Oaths that bear the name of God. We might have sworn and then forgotten whatever earnest well-intentioned vows we might have had are null, dissolved, lifted off, canceled, (laughs) made no void. Uh, All of them we say no longer. So first of all, this created some problems for non-Jews. All your vows, all your deals. 
Second of all, who am I saying this to? God in front of community in a Beit Din. In the moment of the, my most sincere aspirations. So what can this mean? Now I actually don't think it's just the music and it's in actually a lot of the, uh, uh, the Aramaic. It's Aramaic. is intentionally archaic. I mean, how many da'acharimnas do you see? Uda'ishda'abanas. I mean, these are really difficult technical terms that no one was using. So it's almost, it's medieval in its structure and form to give you an incantation. So you could say that it's just the music, but I do believe it's healthy to say from last year to this year. Oh, here, this is from Elaine de Botton. Do you know him? This is a great philosopher. Uh, oh no, I have that. Where is it? So he, he basically said it's a genius thing. It's like when you're a little kid um, and the child says, uh, you know, I promise I won't do it again, but I can't promise that. I promise I won't do it again, but I'm going to do it again. That within each of us is this imp of the perverse that says, I'm really trying to be good, but I know that I'm going to mess up again. So it is this very thing like crossing your fingers and moving it forward. And he loves that about just the psychological profile of that individual. That's one interpretation, reconstruction of it. Uh, I will suggest something else. I'm just going to try to be as plain as possible. From last year to this, you made a bunch of promises. You didn't keep them. Let it go. They're canceled. They're null and void. Why? Because you didn't. Now what are you going to do about that? Like, to have that permission to release all the things that you didn't do. I think this is the irony of Yom Kippur. We spent all that time thinking about all the things we didn't do. So sorry, I'm bad, I didn't, I should have, I could have, I would have. Stop shooting on yourself. <coughs> If you can truly believe that all of the things that you promised that you were going to do, that, you know, juice cleanse that never happened, stop. Now you can choose again. Bli neder, there's a very important principle in rabbinic law. Rabbis hated neders. They hated oaths. Why? Because you're putting yourself up to something that you're setting yourself up. God didn't ask you to do that. So taking it out of word now, this is nidare. This is not nidrenu. This is not contracts. Because a contract is between you and somebody else. So that's why I think it's very important. I'm surprised. All solemn vows. No. All my vows. All my promises. All the things that I said I was going to do this year didn't happen. Notice, when does Kol Nidre happen? See, I think the rabbis were on to something here. Is it the evening of Yom Kippur, Kol Nidre? Trick question. Is it the evening of Yom Kippur? It's Erev. It's not. It's even before Erev. It's before. Remember, what do you wear? You wear a talus. Mm -hmm. 
You're not supposed to wear a talus at night. Now they say it's because you're only having a court. Courts don't meet in the evening. But it's a separate service. It's a rider. And I think it's kind of brilliant. It's putting a little prequel to your evening to say, which is also really important. You have a meal of satisfaction that you don't, before you go and break yourself down, you're going to be successful in this. We're going to do this. And the fasting is just a way to clear yourself out to be a person without action. It is not to cleanse thyself. It is to not eat, drink, be intimate, be social, be creative, because you are in yourself. So that's why Kol Nidre, taken literally, all the things that I said from last year to this are null and void. And God says, Salach varecha. Uh, have you ever done this when you apologize? Oh, I forgive you as your word. That's a quote from the Torah. Because you said, I'm sorry, I will forgive you. And that's a powerful thing. Have you ever uh, tried to apologize for something you didn't, you said you were going to do, and then you didn't do? What is always the response on the other end? Or usually? Total, oh, yeah. I know, you said you wanted to give a, you said you wanted to make me a photo album and you never made the photo album. You said you'd give me a, whatever it may be. So that you can move forward and then take a different accounting. Not of what you didn't do. Not of the, not of the subjunctive form. Aaron used to say the subjunctive's the worst form in grammar. Coulda, shoulda, woulda, mighta. So that then you can really say, Asham no bagad no gazal no. We, collectively, we did these things. We have these collective actions, and we are contrite. Yeah, other questions uh, on that? Kol Nidre. So that would be my reconstruction of Kol Nidre, which is between me and me. That's between me and me, yeah. I'm going to say it. There are many cleansing uh, rituals and words in a lot of religions, but can you imagine if you could never cleanse that and never start again? Yeah. It would just add up and add up and add up, and it would be a bigger and bigger and bigger weight. Debt. Or... A big, uh, yeah, a, a bigger debt. But to me, it, you've got to have the other piece. You've got to have the, and therefore. This is what I will do to right. make it you right? You can't just have, oh, well, forget about that. You've got to have, okay, and now I'm going to rededicate myself. So it's so not forgive and forget, it's forgive and therefore. Forgive and therefore and re-begin. Mm-hmm. It's like hitting the reset button. Right, it's re-begin, reboot. But, but you can't forget the part of, when you make a promise, you still want to right. make a promise that you feel that you're going to keep. Yeah. Right? That's just part of our everyday character. If we're going to be making promises, you want to try and keep that. And this is not saying, hey, don't worry about your promises all year long because you can be said it during Kol Nidra. It's saying, be very careful about promises <laughs> you're about to make in this coming year. And an acknowledgement. Look, you have to admit you've done wrong. 
demonstrate some remorse. You have to have some verbal confession of this. This is, remember, I'm saying to yourself, cold nidrei, nidrei, with the yud, that's me. I'm not talking about negotiated contracts with other people. That we want to keep our promises. We should be very clear. Right, that's the part that I'm articulating out loud to myself, that you've got to remember every day promises are important, promises matter, you want to keep your promises. Clearly, we're all going to fail. We are going to do the best that we possibly can, but there are going to be some hanging, there's going to be some open windows here. And at Yom Kippur, I have an opportunity to forgive myself with the divine. God remembers all the things that we forget all the things that I promised to myself and to my children. Oh, my God. I, I won't even forget. But if we can verbalize it, if I can verbalize it, I mean, I talked about this with the Tikkun Alum Committee. I'm writing about it. You know, I made a promise to compost and freeze my compost. It was a disaster. I can explain why putting compost in your freezer with kids is not the greatest thing, but... I had a social responsibility because then we collect the compost and it goes to a safe place for youth and they have this garden. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, and we're helping create a healthy garden. But I let it go. So you guys, this is an aside. It's a 20-second timeout. Anybody heard of a bucket list? Yes. So I created a sieve list. I let go of 20 things that I said that I was going to do in my life that I was like... one. Of, the first one was composting. But then I realized, and it goes back to your point about hope and about change, because deep down I was like, come on. They don't even distinguish between the blue and the black anymore anyway. They're returning all of our recycling. This is more of a topic of a sermon. But more important, Rick, we want to take very carefully the promises that we make moving forward. And in order to do that, I do think it, it, it's... It's a forgiveness of ourselves. Uh, this I highly recommend. This is Jonathan Sachs's uh, Machsor. Really an incredible commentary. Chief Rabbi of, uh, of uh, England, Great Britain? Yeah. Formerly. Formerly Chief Rabbi of Great Britain. But you know, his research says that forgiveness, uh, guilt and forgiveness, is a Jewish concept. <laughs> but, but just the difference between shame, which is a permanent marker, and a sense of guilt as responsibility. And this is really what, as we move into Yom Kippur, I'm so guilty, I'm so guilty, we misinterpret guilt for shame. Guilt is, I didn't live up to my my ethical demands. But before I do that, before I go through my A to Z, I say, I've got to let go of all these promises that I made to myself because that's what I'm really holding on to. So much of that Yom Kippur is, oh, I did it, I should have, and I, oh, I love this, this is great, I'm a masochist. <laughs> and God's like, relax. So Honestly, so just from some technical points of like the talus, we're good. We have another 10 minutes. I do the tzitzit because it reminds me that I'm a holy person. You can't whip. Like, you see it. Some people really flagellate themselves. 
I, I have that tzitzit there to say, this is holy, this is the stamp, this is my chotem, this is my seal. I'm putting that seal on my heart. And that if I truly have contrition, that I admit, that I confess, that I've also promised to make a change. And this is so hard. Because change is so hard. And so when I do the vidui, ashamnu, bagadnu, gazalnu, which we can go, it's from A to Z. I really recommend you make your own A to Z. Because we all have them. Like, you know, sometimes I can be, I'm not really this guy, but sometimes I can be a, a... you know, that yeah. guy. I BS a lot. You know, we BS. You know, I could be coy. Or I could be too cool. You know, anyway, each of these letters has a modern context for you that if you take a little exercise, because, I don't know, for me, Asham, Nubaga, Nugazal, no, it's just kind of a, it's a song. Which is a good one. So yes, yes. It bothered me. Uh, so the rabbis actually say. So some rabbis say you should have a sense of joy. We're exalted that we have the opportunity to admit our our faults as a collective, and that yes, titanu. So this is a release. A release. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to suggest with the sheet, I mean, to do the A through Z of all the things that we did wrong, but to do an A through Z of all our positive intentions going forward. So. Absolutely. So there, the ashray. You're not just like killing yourself. I'm, we're all imperfect, but to move forward with, okay, you know, I'm going to do this this year. I know, appreciate, I behold, <laughs> I conceive, I devote, right. I excel. The ashray is always part of this prayer. The ashray is also an Aleph to Taf prayer that is a positive iteration. And so back to the Baal Shem Tov. You can bend, but don't bend too low. And yes, there's a certain celebration in the fact that I am saying it and that I'm collectively vowing. They shouldn't be, it shouldn't be like, yay! But it can't all be bitter. It can't because then we don't. Then we're defeated. I'm doing this again. I'm back in that place, and I won't change. So this olive to tough. Now we could say, but you know, so, some of these are very important, uh, and they're not only acts. I mean, we have uh, God. They translate it so differently. Uh, I'm on page eight twenty, and this is the shorter vidui. Eight twenty. So you see that it's an A to Z. Aleph, Bet, Gimel is the A B C. Bagadnu, Gazalnu is stealing. The Barnu Dofi is defamation. Avinu, Avinu is an intentional rebellion, an open rebellion. Hirshanu. We were nasty. Zadnu uh, was uh, transgression. 
uh, Hamas news. We use violence. Now, it's collective. This one is not Kol Nidre. This is not personal. It's collective. But here I would, in, in a reconstruction, what is our role? What is our responsibility? Ian. So, like, when I was younger, I would say, well, I haven't murdered. Well, I guess other people have murdered. But what is my complicit role within the violence, within our culture? What have I not done? What is the tshuva that I need to do to make sure that murder is not as prevalent in our society as it is today? Have, do I have personally a responsibility to help in that process? I do. So that's a different way to look at these because have you ever done that when you're looking at the English? You're like, well, I didn't really improperly advise. Oh, I did. I covered the truth. Oh, I neglected others for sure, but I never. I'm not stubborn. So, but also these actually, or be, you know, stiff neck for that matter. What is your personal agency? But it is a type of celebration. It is a tefillah. It is I'm celebrating the fact that I can do this, that I have a responsibility. I'm owning up to it. I'm sharing it. And then I can say, which is so hard. Like, do you remember this? Areshet Sefateinu? Areshet Sefateinu Yerav Lefanecha Helram. So at the end, I can say, I lift my lips to this, uh, to this, uh, king and if like a child if like a slave do you remember this and what I realize is it's not saying that I am a child or a slave but my agency is lifted in this moment that I by giving this collective uh, lifting some And I do believe the divine is the collective of all of us. When we all hold ourselves both responsible and accountable, we can be forgiven. If we don't believe that, because sometimes we're holding on to it. And the uh, the rabbis say to give confession while not truly letting go. It's like doing a mikvah holding a lizard. (laughs) It's a great metaphor. Do you know what I'm talking about? A lizard is an impure thing. So you're still holding on to it. And this is why, no pockets, you're not supposed to hold on to anything material. This is why, look, I don't mind cell phones during shul so much, especially if your kid calls. This is not the time to get your texts on Yom Kippur so that you can be fully present. It's not about any other mundane, worldly thing. We're really up there. We sing Baruch Hashem Kavod, we say we are like angels. And so in this moment, uh, maybe I'll end on a malach, because oh, two, two, more, two more points. One is malach. So you know how you stand like this when you say the Amidah, many people, they, they stand s- still. You're like an angel, and an angel cannot move, cannot change. An angel is an agent that does one particular thing and then disappears. So angels are static. And in the rabbinic uh, mind, angels are so sad that they can't be human because humans mess up and then they can learn and they can grow. Angels are pure, but they just have one little thing and then go poof. I don't believe in angels, but I do believe 
In, uh, I don't believe that there are mythic beings that come down to this earth. And I don't believe that human beings are angelic because they're dynamic. And yet, on Yom Kippur, I'm angelic. And this is why I don't eat, drink, have sex, really, really, really try to cleanse, cleanse, to clear my head is because one day a year, I'm sitting in shul all day. I know I'm not doing anything wrong well, until I get somebody's name wrong or I get the sign wrong. Sorry, Bert. You get a ticket. That I am working towards something. Right. And then you swear. and then, But I am working very diligently on taking this liturgy that is my inheritance. It's my patrimony and my matrimony. Why don't we say matrimony? I know that means marriage, but like we say patrimony, but... Can it be like my mother's inherited stuff too, my matrimony? So, and with that, I have a responsibility not to discard the text. Not I, This is I, with great respect to Rabbi Kaplan. Uh, I don't want to change my liturgy anytime it doesn't suit my needs. I have enough creative intellectual ability and spiritual strength to use the words of my ancestors so much that I'm going to say this. This is what I'm working on now. I believe with a complete heart in the coming of the Messiah. I don't. I don't believe in a man or a woman on a donkey that's going to come and save my world. If that's what you think that's what that means. For me... I have to believe with full faith because faith can't be partial. And so I have to believe. Anima amin, this is a challenge to myself to believe fully in this smichut, in this nominative form of Biviata Mashiach, which means in the coming of something that is smoother, that is collective, that is aspirational, that is divine. That I believe fully. I am, I will say it here publicly, I am a Jewish progressive. That we are working towards something that will help make it better. Now when I'm singing in the Hasidus, you know, I mean, it's beautiful. Now I can sing just as full with a voice. And this is what I want to return back to the beginning of. We can be skeptical and we can be critical, but we should never lose this great patrimony of ours, this great inheritance. And we can sing with a full voice all of these prayers from Kol Nidre, to the sound of the shofar. This is our Torah. This is our mitzvot. And uh, we should celebrate them. So uh, to a great Elul, it's really a pleasure. We'll continue our study. And thank you.